Welcome to Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot. Today I interview atheist political candidate Wynne LeGrow. Global climate change is real and we have to deal with it. We have to get away from burning fossil fuels. If you like the show and want it to continue, do me a favor and write a kind review on iTunes or send a link to a friend. And now, my interview with Wynne LeGrow. Dr. Wynne LeGrow is a retired physician and the Democratic nominee for U.S. Congress in Virginia's 4th Congressional District. You might wonder why I am interviewing a politician today until I tell you that on August 18th, Dr. LeGrow became the first major party challenger for U.S. Congress to run openly as an atheist. So, Wynne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, when I'd like to start by getting to know you a little bit, could you tell us about your upbringing and the things that have motivated you as a doctor and now as a political candidate? I understand you were raised as a preacher's kid, right? My father was a minister, so we moved around a lot. And growing up, I wanted to believe. I, you know, I, I was not rebellious. I... Um, tried to convince myself that, that I believed. And that went on for a number of years. And finally, when I was 16 years old, I just sort of said to myself, well, admit it, you, you don't believe this. What I was taught by my parents was honesty and integrity and the golden rule. And I believe all of that. I, I think uh, you should treat others as you would like to be treated. That's the way I've tried to live my life. And I think Carl Sagan once said, if you want a meaningful life, do something meaningful. And that's part of the reason I went into the practice of medicine. I was always interested in science, but I never could picture myself just practicing science alone and doing research. Uh, I felt that I needed to connect with people, to interact with people, and to help people. And so that interest in science and that approach to life made the practice of medicine sort of the ideal profession for me. And so that, that's, that's why I went into medicine. And then another way of practicing the golden rule, you, I believe after you retired, you and your wife went down to Honduras to do some work there with the skills that you've developed? Well, my stepdaughter graduated from the University of Virginia, and she got involved with this one group that goes to Honduras on a regular basis to provide medical care. So this was June of last year, and we went down there for a week, and it was really very eye-opening, the conditions that people live under, and it makes you aware of you know, just day-to-day -day life here would be luxury for people down there. Uh, hot and cold running water, water that you can drink out of the tap without being worried that it's contaminated, really makes you understand what we have here yeah. that we really take for granted. When what made you think that you might run for Congress? Well, I never really considered running for Congress until the last few years. Um, mm. I remember seeing uh, Ron Reagan on Larry King once, and, and Larry King said, well, you know, you're very intelligent and, and well-spoken. Have you considered running for office? And uh, Ron Reagan's response was, I, I can't run for office. I'm an atheist. Hmm. And I thought, well, George H.W. Bush's son could run for office, 
and I don't think he was qualified, why couldn't Ron Reagan's office? It was just because of his view of religion mm-hmm. that he felt he couldn't run. And so I sort of had that in the back of my mind for years that as an atheist, I couldn't run. But eight years of George W. Bush as president, and I, you know, I understand he is a religious person. I don't have any problems with that. But in my opinion, he didn't have the, the judgment or the temperament or the intellect to be president. And yet he became president. He got us into a war in Iraq that we never should have gone into. And I just disagreed with just about everything he did. And I thought, well, if he can be president, uh, you know, I can run for Congress. And so as a political candidate, what do you think are the most important issues that are facing America in the next few years? And what should we do about them? Well, I'd sort of like to answer that in two ways. I mean, I'm running for Congress in Southside, Virginia in 2010. And Mm -hmm. the most important things here right now are jobs and education. I mean, we are just very slowly coming out of a recession that I think could have been avoided if we had regulations that were properly enforced. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years since the Great Depression, a number of regulations were gradually removed, and so we ended up with uh, subprime loans and the housing bubble and then the collapse that brought on the recession. So I think we need to have proper regulations of banks and Wall Street to prevent us from getting into that. But once we got into that, government needs to spend money to get us out. Now, we hear the Republicans saying that stimulus package didn't help. My opponent, Randy Forbes, I I went to listen to him speak in person. He said he didn't think stimulus package had produced any jobs. Well, nationwide, it has produced or saved 3 million jobs. And he just sort of dismisses that. And if we did not have uh, the stimulus package, I have heard that the unemployment rate would not be at 9.5 or 9.6 percent. It would be at 11.5 percent. So we don't see how bad it would have been if we didn't have the stimulus. Mm-hmm. And I think we need more of a stimulus to produce jobs in the infrastructure. We need work on roads, bridges, airports, high-speed rail. Those are the types of things we need to put people to work doing, and in so doing, we can gradually bring the economy back. Now, when we had this recession and and states had less money to spend, they decided in Virginia and in many places around the country to take the money out of education, and I think that's the last place we should have taken the money out. Public education, since I went to school, and I went always to public schools, Uh, has gradually gotten worse. We need to build up public education. We need to put money into public education. How are we going to have productive citizens if they are uneducated? So that is the short term. That's what we need to do. We need to put money in education and, uh, and the infrastructure. Long term, I think the two biggest problems we have are, one, global warming, and I'm absolutely convinced that global climate change is real, and that human beings are contributing to it by burning fossil fuels. And we also have a national debt, which is in the range of $13 trillion. So we need to get out of this present recession, Mm -hmm. build the economy up, and then we need to take on the national debt. 
we have a military that is, I am told, larger than all of the other militaries in the world combined. Mm -hmm. uh, we are usually trying to fight the last war, producing weapons to fight the last war. We don't need a lot of the Western system we have now to fight terrorism. And so I think that very reasonable cuts can be made in the military and still keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And there's a limit to how safe you're going to be against terrorists, because they can always, if you have a suicide bomber willing to take his own life, there, there's always a risk of that. Well, and we might actually be protecting ourselves better by not invading other countries and uh, destroying the, the economy and the infrastructure and engendering hate against the United States. Well, certainly. That's definitely what has happened with us going into Iraq. Now, I mean, I would have agreed to going into Afghanistan originally, but that was almost nine years ago, and we are still bogged down there. And, and certainly I agree with most of uh, the programs that President Obama has, has backed, but the one area that I disagree with him is, you know, building up in Afghanistan. Many, many countries have found that to be a downfall. The Soviet Union, of course, went in there thinking they were going to change things around and went out many years later, uh, uh, much the worse for wear. And I cannot see us staying around there until we turn it around into something that, that's going to be workable. And, and we are risking more American lives and have very little to show for it. That's where Osama bin Laden was when we invaded. And he has not been there, I understand, for a long time. I don't think we need to be there. Well, one issue that is on a lot of people's minds that you haven't mentioned is energy. What, is, what are your thoughts on energy? Well, that, you know, that is one of the big long-term problems. Like I mentioned, global climate change is real, and mm -hmm. we have to deal with it. We have to get away from burning fossil fuels. Like 150 years ago, very few fossil fuels were burned, and 150 years from now, they'll all be burned up. So in the millions of years the Earth has been here, we've got uh, 300 years or less to burn up all the fossil fuels, and we as a race seem to be determined to do it. Despite the fact we're putting millions of tons of pollutants in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which is causing the global warming, we have to get away to safer renewable energy. We have to use wind, solar. There certainly may be some way we can relatively safely use uh, nuclear energy. We need to use geothermal. We need to use everything that's available in the way of reusable clean energy. And... In order to do that, you are going to have to tax fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. If you leave it strictly to the market, clearly fossil fuels are the cheapest form of energy right now. And the only way to stimulate use of reusable fuels is by taxing carbon or taxing fossil fuels. And many Republicans, my opponent included, seems to think the, that this problem will solve itself if well, he has this, what he calls the new Manhattan Project, where the government would, would reward certain things. Well, if you perfect nuclear fusion, you don't need the government to reward you. You will do very well on your own. So I, I think he has no backup plan. I mean, there are many things that need to be, need to be done. Uh, insulation, rewarding the use of re renewable energy, and many other things to, to turn this around. Now, when... As I mentioned earlier, you're not hiding the fact that you're a non-believer, an atheist, 
And I know American politicians of the past, like Abraham Lincoln, have been highly critical of religion. But, I mean, didn't you get the memo that coming out as an atheist in today's America is political suicide? I mean, certainly that that occurred to me. And, I mean, I practiced medicine here in, in Emporia, Virginia, for 29 years. And... You know, I didn't go out and announce it on the street corner. Mm -hmm. I I took care of patients. I didn't talk Mm -hmm. to patients about religion. I didn't talk to patients about politics. I took care of patients to the best of my ability. But certainly some people knew that I was a non-believer. I mean, people knew that I didn't go to church. I didn't talk against religion. I I am not against religion. I'm in favor of freedom of religion. But some people knew, and I thought, well, if I'm going to run for office, and if I try to keep it a secret, then I may get two or or three weeks before the election, and somebody will bring it out, and then it would all blow up in my face. Mm -hmm. And I thought it is best for me to bring it out and say, this is it. This is where I'm coming from. I have a reputation for being honest, and uh, I will live by my reputation. I think it was uh, Vincent Boyosi, who also was an atheist, and he, he, of course, was a trial lawyer, and he said, if you have something that is negative or could be perceived to be negative, it is best for you to bring it out, then wait for the other side to bring it out, and then you look like you're trying to catch up. Mm -hmm. So my idea was, okay, I'm going to put it out there, my reasons, and say, you know, I believe in the golden rule, I believe in being honest, uh, treating people fairly, but I'm not a believer in the supernatural. But I think this problem, this country has many problems that we have to deal with, and I didn't want to deal with that right at the end. I wanted to get it out up front and then deal with the issues. Yeah. And, of course, the word atheism only tells us what you don't believe. And you've shared a bit about what you believe, but do you have some kind of a worldview that takes the role that religion does for many other people? Well, I don't think much other than what I've already mentioned. I mean, the the golden rule has always made sense. I want to treat people fairly, and I want to be treated fairly. I want people to be honest with me, so that's why I'm honest with them. I think that makes all the sense in the world. And I don't need a threat of something bad happening to me to change that view. And again, in my life, uh, I felt to have meaning. I needed to interact with people and help people. And again, that, that's why I went into the practice of medicine. And I remember once when I was in medical school, one of the other students said he was glad that he went into medicine and he thought that he would help save mankind. The professor sort of chuckled and he said, well, you know, if you really want to help a large number of people, he said, Richard Nixon, who was the president at that time, he said he is in more of a position to help large numbers of people Mm -hmm. than a physician is doing it one patient at a time. So, I mean, I did that one patient at a time for 29 years, and I found it to be very rewarding, and I'm glad I went into medicine. But I see these larger problems, and again, global climate change and problems with a huge national debt. And I thought, well, if I'm going to in any way impact those problems, I need to take a different approach. And so that's why I tried what I'm now trying. 
And you're running against the incumbent, J. Randy Forbes, who has explicitly said that he is engaged in a culture war and has proposed legislation that would designate the USA as a Judeo-Christian nation, that would declare the Bible is God's word, and so on. So he's definitely engaged in what he calls a culture war. Do you see yourself as engaged in a culture war? Well, he, he is also founder and chairman of the, the Congressional Prayer Caucus, and I saw a video of him where he was praying be, behind this preacher for the defeat of the health care bill. And, I mean, I, I just... To me, that strikes me as inappropriate. I mean, whatever his religion is, he is very public about praying against something that would help people. Mm. You know, this will allow something like 30 million more people to obtain health care. People will no longer be prevented from getting health care because of pre-existing conditions. And there mm. he is publicly praying against it. Yeah. I mean, my view is this country was founded on religious freedom, Thomas Jefferson coined the phrase, wall of separation between church and state. I am quite happy for anyone to have any religion they please, but it was pretty clear by Jefferson and James Madison, who was the main writer of the Constitution, that they felt those should be separate. People came to this country for freedom of religion, and in doing that, they were not escaping countries of non-believers for the most part. They were escaping countries where there was religious belief, but this religious belief was forced onto others. And it seems to me that Randy Forbes and other people who think like him would like to start forcing their religion back on people again. To me, that's the reverse of what this country was formed for. If people like Randy Forbes take control, we'll have to uh, have a bunch of uh, people leave the United States looking for somewhere where they can have religious freedom again. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, you can visualize if they take over and start imposing their ideas of religion on people, people leaving this country for religious freedom. Now, I mean, <laughs> if, if people can't see the contradictory nature of that, they don't understand the freedoms that they have in this country. When you're the Democratic nominee for U.S. Congress in Virginia's 4th Congressional District, and typically a large portion of the Democratic base is among African Americans, and yet, on the other hand, African Americans are among the most hostile groups to non-belief. What's been your experience in how those factors play out during your campaign? Well, I mean, we will just have to see. It has not been still that widely known. When I go out and talk to groups, I talk about the issues. I don't talk yeah. about religion. I talk about jobs. I talk about education. I talk about global warming. And I talk about the financial situation we're in. And I don't go out there saying I'm a non-believer. Many of them at this point don't know. Now, today, a letter was put in the local newspaper quoting the article that was in the Daily Coast. So I think starting today, <laughs> the word is going to be out. So I will see what the reaction is. But I practiced here uh, in internal medicine and nephrology. And nephrology is kidney disease. And so I had a dialysis unit here. And the incidence of kidney failure in African Americans is very high. 
So the great majority of my patients here were African-American for 29 years. And I am very close to many people in the African-American community. More of my patients were African-American than white. And so I am hoping that they will say, you know, we've known this man for decades and he's honest and straightforward and did his best to help us. And we will just have to see how it plays out. But, you know, as a non-believer, I think I only have one shot in life and I can only live it the best I can. And that is honestly. And, you know, it's, it's interesting if I chose not to be honest, I could say I was a believer and then I wouldn't have to deal with this. <laughs> But I would have difficulty dealing with myself. I, I am not comfortable going out and being dishonest about the way I think about things and then asking for people's trust. Mm-hmm. So I will have to deal with the consequences. But like I said, I've, been, uh, I've lived in Emporia for over 30 years now and have got to know many people. And the people that know me will have to, you know, talk to others and say, this is, this is their opinion of, of the type of person I am. Now, when it seems very unpopular these days for a politician to talk seriously about the urgency and importance of the global warming problem, and it seems to me that that may be because politicians know that it's an unpopular issue because it's something where we don't see the effects immediately upon ourselves and it might be expensive to deal with the problem and in fact the effects are going to be a lot worse on people who we don't know that we might not care about and not so bad on the wealthier people in American society um, or even the poorer people in American society and yet I wonder if some of the reason that you are one of the few politicians who is willing to speak so strongly about the importance of facing the global warming problem it is because, like you just said, this is the one life that you've got, um, and this is the one planet that we've got. We don't have another world that we're going to, and so we need to take care of this one. What I've learned is, is part of the deal in running for office is trying to raise money. Mm-hmm. And I had a fundraiser up in Washington, D.C., and was asked to speak, and, you know, the first thing I mentioned was global warming. <laughs> and then I mentioned the financial situation. And one of the people up there who uh, has sort of been in the know in Washington for many years, and I'm quite close to, talked to me afterwards, and he said, well, you know, talking about the financial situation, he said, that's good. He said, but nobody up here is really interested in global warming right Mm -hmm. now. So you might go kind of light on that. And I thought, this is our planet we're talking about. Our children and our grandchildren are going to have to live here, and I think only if you don't understand what is going on with global warming can you be dismissive of it. And most people that I talk to who don't accept global warming uh, manage to keep themselves ignorant of what's going on. If you do any reading on it, the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, I'm 65 years old. I I think for the rest of my life, it's probably going to be all right, although my mother lived to 96, you know (laughs) Uh, I don't know in another 30 years uh, what things are going to be like. But you're right. This is the only planet we got. And I think it's possible that we can turn things around, but we have to start doing it right now. And, and of course, to do that, you've got to have a carbon tax. But it's like you can't get elected to office if you tell the truth. You know, just mm-hmm. tell us uh, some 
some fantasy that we can believe, and then we'll go along, and then we'll worry about it when it happens. Well, if and when it happens, it may be too late to do anything about it. Well, when what should people do if they hear what you're talking about, and they agree with you, and they want to see that kind of change? What can they do to help you if they're in Virginia, and what can they do to help you if they are not in Virginia? I have a website. It's uh, Legro, L-E-G-R-O-W, for F-O-R, uscongress.com. And I have learned the only way you can do much in politics is get the word out. Now, I'm going out, talking to groups, speaking to people, knocking on doors. But to get the word out big time, you need money. And certainly, if people would like to donate to my website, I would be very appreciative. Now, the people in the 4th District or close to the 4th District, if you want to help me out, uh, just call my office. The telephone number is 434-348-1077. And certainly, we need volunteers. We need other people going out, knocking on doors, calling people, getting people motivated. This is an off-year election, and we know that supposedly the Republicans are energized and the Democrats are not. Well, we need to get the Democrats energized, because if we can get the base out, I can win this election. Hmm. But it's an uphill battle, and we're going to have to work hard from now until Election Day and get people motivated and get them out to vote. And so any help that anyone would give me would be greatly appreciated. Now, when I think I read that you have already raised more money than all of the uh, previous opponents to the incumbent Randy Forbes that have come prior. Is that correct? Congressman Forbes won a special election back in 2001 when the previous Congressman Norman Sosiski died in office. A lot of money was spent in that election, although it was a very short campaign. Much more was spent in that election than has been spent since. But in the elections since that time, in 2002, 4, 6, and 8, I understand that I've raised more than, than the other candidates combined. So we are certainly making some headway, but as still, as far as raising money, I'm still way behind uh, Congressman Forbes. So to take him on, we know we're not going to raise as much as he did, but if we can get more money to get the word out, and that's, that's what we need to do, then that greatly in- increases my chances. All right. Well, Dr. Legros, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it, and thank you for everyone who's listening. In the next episode, I'll be interviewing philosopher Michael Bishop about the skeptic movement and epistemology. So stay tuned for more Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot.